Welcome to another episode of the Seminar This is L. KB. Hashtag feminism. African queen. African queen. Three black black women. Where's the lie? You mean play or record? (laughs) Listen, the day I had, it's whatever button is right there. Listen, it's a week for me. It is a week for me. Anyway. Did you say a weed or weave? I think she said week. I said week. Yeah, Yeah. I was about to say, ain't nobody saying nothing about no weave. What's Thank on your mind? This one, she needs to be on the That's what that is. Okay, we're back. Go. Okay, I was like, we're going to be official now. Hello, world. Welcome to another episode of the Fem Noir Files. We already know how KB's doing because that glass was full when we uh, first saw you. Now it's mm. a little empty. Mm. Doug, no judgment. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm having a great day. It's my mommy's birthday. So I'm back home. I'm back home in Alabama for her birthday. But Was she surprised? Was she surprised? No, I went ahead and told her. I told her. Yeah, but I had a really um, great day at the Mobile Museum of Art. So if anybody gets the opportunity to just happen to be in my hometown, Make sure you go check them out. They have like a really good exhibit talking about the history of segregation in Mobile. And they also have a special um, exhibit with Gordon Parks where he shot his images for um, Life magazine. So they actually have the, um, the sign from the Woolworth where it was the lady standing outside with um, her niece underneath the sign that says, you know, colored people. So they actually have the sign in the museum. Um, so if you get an opportunity, just go check it out. It was like really informative. It was great. So that's my my good news. But KBL, what y'all got going on? So I, I know Elle thinks she know how I'm doing because my glass level, but that's not what I want to be judged upon. What I want to be judged upon is my shirt that says Libras do it better. And the fact that I'm preparing for my grandmother to come and visit me. And y'all know how me and Granny me. Oh, Granny coming? Hi, Granny. Granny, Granny is coming, girl. And she is going to be all in the mix. But I'm really actually excited about her coming this time because, you know, I've been listening to, you know, some of our elders and sitting down with them and just getting those stories. And my grandmother was born in 1935 in the South. And I am planning to record her. Like, I'm going to just have this dialogue and we're going to just talk. I want Kay at her feet. And I'm just super excited about this because I know bits and pieces, but I'm like, man, like, you know, should y'all know where you're in? I don't know a lot of that information on my mother's side. My cousin on my father's side started researching. So we have more information, but I don't have that on my mother's side. So I'm excited to sit at the elders yeah. and just get that knowledge. And she's going to be here for a week. So, you know, we're going to break it up. Awesome. And I'm just super, super stoked um, about it. I will say, like, um, make sure you take video as well, because I'm yes. doing that with I'm my doing. grandmother. I'm doing yep. that with my grandmother this weekend yep. um, as well. So last year, this time, I took her back to her hometown. But I want to get, like, more 
photos and family history and stuff so I could take that back to Maryland with me. But that is awesome. So Elle, what you got going on? Today's the last day of school. Yes! yes! Praise them! You we better praise them. them damn kids. Damn it. No, you better no, praise them. No, no, we start our summer programming next week. God oh, damn, no. you don't get a break? You know they, they you know they all I'm behind a 12 shit, month man. employee. But I go on vacation next month, so I'm super freaking excited. Oh, where are we going? Nice. Turks and Caicos. Yes. That's what's up. Wait, yeah. you you gonna have that ass out? You gonna have a thong? I think you should That's wear a thong. I'm gonna have I my think- ass and my titties out. Oh my yes. god. Yes. My bathing suits actually came this week and I've been trying them on. So oh my I- god. Okay. I- Oh my God! When we had everything all hanging out when we were in Trinidad, uh, I'm sorry, you, I hate you so much. Now you want to act right? Now you want to act right? I'm gonna act right. So anyway, there we go. Let's go. So we saw our last episode was what that did do. Shoot, <laughs> did that song real quick. I just did that song real quick. What that did do? Did do. Say it, KB. <laughs> KB, you not gonna say it? Oh, oh, I won't ever know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So surprisingly enough, we received a listener letter. Hey. So, yeah, so I would like to share it with everyone. So greetings, ladies. Interesting episode. And yes, you need to have these discussions, these very blunt discussions, because I am sure there are women at home still trying to figure out what happened on their last date. So based on these anecdotes, it is about them talking too much, but it's also game. I can't even say that it's the way this generation was raised, because this also sounds like some foolishness I heard when dealing with the bros in college and as a young adult. This is game. It is to let you know that they are not pressed and that you have to do all the work to show why you are worth it to them. I am married. And the thing about being married is that your husband or anyone you are in a strong, committed relationship with is supposed to be your best friend. My husband talks about the way men think all of the time. He always tells me that men are simple. They know what they want. If that man wants you, he will do anything to have you and to keep you. That means treating you right. What you describe from these fools on these dating apps is that they want to scratch a damn itch and play a damn game. Shug, there is nothing wrong with referring to a man as bruh. I call my husband that and dude, especially when we are in deep conversation about life's foolishness because I'm having a conversation with my close person. And Shug, because you were looking for feedback, this bruh was full of crap. He reminds me of the man I was dating before I began dating what would be my husband, who told me that he didn't think we were spiritually in tuned. He made it sound like something that I was lacking. I was young and stupid, so I went out of my way to prove he was wrong. I wish I could rewind time and tell him to go screw himself. Anyway, this guy rang you down like you were applying to be with him. You don't need feedback. If a guy has a problem with something that you've done, he just says, hey, you did X, Y, Z, and it made me feel like this. He doesn't give you a list of shortcomings. If he can't deal, he just steps off. That's how normal men operate. So that was game. To show that you need to bend over backwards to prove you belong with him. 
He needs to show you why you should want him. L, there's nothing wrong with asking someone to get tested. To do so means that you hear that person's concerns and they love you enough to keep you safe. It's old fashioned, but good men want to keep their women safe. They are protectors and it's okay, even as independent as we are, for men to be protectors. As women, we don't always need to do it all. It doesn't make us weak when we let men take some of the burden. We actually will live a little longer. Also pray for the man that you want. And KB, you were right. You were in a marriage. You weren't just dating. A marriage is something that you have to work at and fight for. People shouldn't just walk away without doing all they can to save it. There's so much more I can say about this episode, but keep talking about it. Women want to hear it and know that they are not crazy. Also, WhatsApp is the devil. Anyway, I'm looking forward <laughs> to your next episode. Stay safe, Palmetto Arthur. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Exactly. And I think that's what bothered me about the most about old boy is just like, um, who asked for this? Nobody asked for this. The same way we asked for this, this Juneteenth holiday, but we'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> well, some okay. people did. Some of us did. Right. Anyway. I mean, no disrespect to Miss Oakley, Lee, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we didn't ask for this. Right. So speaking of the last episode, well, we know somebody who is getting that dick, Nick Cannon's baby mamas, because he apparently has community peeing now. I hate you so much. Oh Where, my god. Why did he become community peeing? Like, he is, though. He, he has had four children by three different women in the last in six a months. year. In a, Wait, yes. this is not the fourth? These This set of twins is not the fourth set? Like the fourth? It's the, the fourth? second set of twins. He has. So remember, they, he has a set of twins with Mariah Carey. Yeah, they were they were the first ones. They were the first twins, but then he had a baby with the woman he was dating like three years, two or three years ago. Brittany Bell, another baby with like Brittany December. Bell. Yeah, then he had Brit- another baby with a second woman in like February, March. Well, actually, probably more like January, February. Okay, wait, wait. Here, here's how it goes. So Mariah, yeah, Mariah, because you know they were married, they got a divorce. Then he started dating this chick named Brittany Bell. They had a son. Um, then they later yeah, had give us year, Shug. I don't I don't know the year breakdown, but this was after Mariah. Um, this was after the divorce. So they end up Wait, Brittany, I'm sorry. So we had like seven kids? Yes. yes. He's about well, to he's, ha- he's he about six. to have his seventh. Oh, this yes, is his seventh is on the way. Never yeah. mind. Go ahead. His, Thank yeah, you. seven is on Community the way. Peen. Community peen. Thank you. Because there was another lady, her name, and she was on um, Wildin' Out, but her name is Abby De La Rosa. And she is, um, she's about to have, now Abby De La Rosa had the twins. She's the one that just had the twins. She's the, the one that had boys. the twins. But he's currently waiting on his seventh baby um, with a, a girl who was on Wildin' Out. Yeah, she's claiming that Nick is the daddy. But the issue is... is he that is with, definitely the daddy. Yes, okay. So, yes. but the issue is, is that with three, four, five, and... No, with four... Yeah, three, four, five, and six, his latest children are by three different women that were born within the last six months. That's the issue, KB. That's why yeah. he's beauty pain. So, I actually saw a clip um not too long ago where he was on the Howard Stern show and he was talking about because you know Nick has health issues so Mm -hmm. he was also saying that you know according to the doctors he's probably not gonna live that long so that's why he's just out here 
rocking with his cock out, basically. So he was like, you know, why be careful and let's throw caution to the wind. We finna take this condom off and we finna go meet to meet. Oh, that's what he said? That's the gist of it, yeah. But I think it's basically because he feels like he doesn't have a lot of time left here. So he's just going to live his life. Yeah, he just wants to live his life. But did y'all see X and y'all play CSI with his baby mamas? It's true. Like you have to have a diagram to understand like the timeline and who had what baby. And then let's talk about these baby names. So no, 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 no. One, I don't even want to talk about them because I, I no, need to understand the meaning behind them. I no. don't even want to do it. The names. Next, no. Next. So, next. Mm-mm. No. Zion Mixolydian. Oh, she's not going to listen to SKB at all. And, and, and Zillionaire. And Zillionaire. Really? Because you're going to be more than a billionaire. What? <laughs> 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 that what that Negro said. Okay. <laughs> this is way too much. Oh my God. All right. Next. Next topic. So, so I think KB loves Sean King. Don't you love Sean King, KB? You know, I'm I'm with mixed emotions with him, but I have to respect what he's doing. I've kind of stopped listening to him so much because he has angles. And as you listen to people, they have their own agenda. But I do think that he is for black people in general. So I have to respect where he sits at, but go ahead with the story. Okay. Well, someone who does not respect Sean King oh. Oh. is Tamir Rice's mother. Oh, yes. So we so for those of you who don't know or who forgot, Tamir Rice is a 12-year-old boy who was killed by Cleveland police officers for playing with a toy gun in a park. Um, and also, unfortunately, those police officers that killed him were not charged away. with his murder. Yeah. Got off with the but that's another story for another day. So in any event, in 2017, Tamir's mother started a foundation um, named after him, named after Tamir Rice. And basically with her dealings with Sean King, because initially Sean King said that he was raising money for the foundation. And she is saying that she has not seen that money. She also called him an imposter and said that he was a white man pretending to be black mm. and that he is basically profiting off her son's death. So she is not a big fan of Mr. King and she uh, made a post on Instagram to share how basically he had recorded a conversation with her and sort of used that recording and used those words to, prof- to make a profit and to raise money. His argument is that he has not seen that money and that he did not benefit from it. But mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like Sean King has sort of been in the news multiple times throughout his career. career. I'll put he the has. word career in quotes regarding some shady practices. Mm-hmm. So, yes, but, 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 but come on, y'all. <laughs> How many times do they go after us when we trying to make progress? How many times I mean, do they make smoke where is no me, fire? Because it would be different, KB. I feel like if it he were broke down his financials on one of his, but no, he broke down one of his his financials on one of his podcast episodes, right? So I think that if it's that much, you would have put him through a court case or something like that. Here's what I'm gonna say. Tamir's rice is mom, Samiria, I think is how you pronounce her name. Yes. yes. 
you know, she's going after Sean King right now. She's also going after Tamika Mallory. She's going after Black Lives Matter organization. She's, um, you know, going off a couple of people. I know that she's hurting though. So I'm kind of of this, this mindset and I was listening to someone else um, talk about her when she was going for Tamika Mallory's head. You know, that's a person in pain. So I'm going to really let all of that ride what she's doing right now. I think it's hurting us though. I'm going to say that. I can at least say that. But I'm a, I'm not going to say nothing else against her because I know she's hurting. I just pray that she gets the counseling that she needs, that you go off of the real enemies. Because if Sean King is making money in some kind of way, I know he's also getting back. So does that, does that help out? Because we think about pastors who get paid to be in the pulpit and preach because that's a job. So he is doing a job. He's risking his life. He gets death threats and all these other things in trying to make movement. But I'm not going to say nothing against her because I think that's pain talking. Okay. I just wish that we handled this in a more community way and stop putting shit out on the forefront and looking like we not together. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Oh, that's another episode that thank you for jogging my mind, KB, because I think we need to talk about that too. That's very important. So that's a very important thing because it's like, how do we handle disagreements? We can disagree. You know, I, I told y'all, you know, I think some of his practices are a little, you know, sometimes he questionable. Just, yeah. And I'm not gonna say for no, I'm not gonna say for no money standpoint necessarily, right? Just how he moves. But I have to, I'd still give him the respect of the work that he's doing because we are seeing some things come to fruition, especially when he's trying to get certain people into office that I think are also worthy of being in these, in these positions and calling out people when they ain't doing their shit in office. So there's a place for him in this ecosystem. And I don't think that going after him in this way and, and she's doing it, it's not just him. She's done it with other people, but I also think that's pain. It may yeah. be. Maybe. No, that's fucking pain. Anybody who just keep gunning for people? who Did you ask them others for checks? Have you followed the money train of everybody else that's making money and where I, that money is flowing? But I, did I they just want this to be all right. The money for the foundation? Right, and I think that there's many that people that have been raising money. Wait, there's many people that have been raising money for various foundations. But, but I think the problem for her, we talking about Bertha Mayor Rice, I don't right, know about Tamir. Listen, I don't know about Tamir Rice, but there is a court system. Let me just say this. We're not going to sit up here and just be making accusations and we don't have nothing to back them up with. Okay. So if you make the accusation, put that shit to court. And guess I what? If his money ain't, ain't flowing right, you got it. But it also takes money to go to court. And I think her problem is, is that people are using her son as the poster child yes. to advance not- their causes. It's yeah. not their cause. This is a fucking black cause. What are we talking about? No, this no, is, no, no, this is shit. Be, no, this is, but the, but the programs no. that they have in place, wait, let me just say this. The programs that they have in place, to my knowledge, the ones I'm thinking about and the ones I've heard Sean talk about, they are not just for him. They are to progress the entire black race. But if he is saying exactly X, but this man has gone out specifically and said he is raising money for the Tamir Rice Foundation. I don't know nothing and about the that. Foundation, right? But that's what I'm saying, though, KB. That those are the that's, that's a simple fucking fix. No. How many lawyers we know who will take a case and wait till they get paid afterwards? I just want to say that. No, 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 KB. If I go out and say that I am raising money for little KB's 
classroom and I take that money and I don't give that money to little KB's classroom, that's a problem. It's a problem. It's, it's, it's going to take, it, take it to court. It's going to take it to court. But wait, but like, it's not that easy, though. Like that There's, no, no, it is. It's not that easy, boo. There's a lot of people who do pro bono work. You telling me nobody would pick up her case and go and investigate? Come on, I want y'all to tell me that. I'm tell not me, saying tell me. Not no, 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 no. You say they can't, can't do it. But you can't go in thinking that you're going that somebody's gonna do you a solid and do that. Exactly. Like that's it, going in with the wrong type of mindset. It ain't going in the wrong type of mindset. If you were owed some money and you're thinking you're gonna get the money in the end, there's gonna be a lawyer that can possibly take the case and get your money at the end. So my thing is putting this out on social media, take that shit to court. Ask for his financial records. Press him to get the financial records. Okay. I just think the way it's being handled just isn't the right way. So That's you would prefer saying. for her to, to build a case against him? And yes. go not, only, not only him, it would be him and Black Anybody Lives Matter. Anybody else is, and, oh, not just, let's not call all them organizations that they ain't did no foundation. Let's not add in all the others. No, but I'm saying all the people that you're saying that she's gone after, that means that she would have to have a case against all of these organizations and individual people. That takes time and money, and I don't see that happening. Oh, I do see it happen. I see a lot of people who would jump on that and try to help her out. You don't okay. think somebody that whispered her and told her they'll help her? Oh, I do. Nah. I think so. I'll, I'll say I do. I, I, you're not going to tell me nobody that's not empathizing with this woman who wouldn't help her to look into it it may not be a fucking case right i mean and people right so ain't nobody gonna take shit that they know ain't no fucking backing to it that's all i'm saying but again she's mourning and so i just hope that whatever i hope that sean can give his records over to her willy-nilly like i i just think that this could be him you know, i just i don't like that shit i don't like that put on blast i don't like you going for everybody in the black lives movement you know this is called let's let's fuzzy up let's cloud the space and and yeah if you're not having good business practices you need to you need to go down i ain't gonna never take up for nobody who's doing some shady shit so this is the perfect example of a black woman going hard for a black man i just want to point that out to everybody (laughs) (laughs) wait is sean black though have we figured that out is he black Maybe I've never. Sean King is black. Stop. Never. His mama said Tamir Rice's mama said no. She called him an imposter. And she has no backing to that, which was the most wait. absolute crazy. Wait, wait, wait. She ain't the only wait. one who made that claim. Wait, though, okay? wait. Get it right. You ain't look at him. He might be of mixed. He might be of mixed descent, but he is black. Stop. Oh, wait, now- wait. Hey, we're not, not gonna call people we're not gonna call people color into into question like this is stupid to me okay. he laying out with a black ass woman that's a black ass because of sean king though kb is it stupid huh? because of sean king no it's by anybody who's on the front lines and risking a life like that's what this shit is about i hate you so much x <laughs> did he get the entire june team i hate you <laughs> He get the full Juneteenth, and he probably been celebrating that shit before a lot of us found out about it. Wait, but I think this is good conversation and good topic about having your paper together because as DMX's widow, well, I'm sorry, DMX's fiance found out that having those papers are important because now 
his family is fighting over his estate, and the judge has ruled that she has no claim to to oh, any of them. No, 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 no. The judge didn't rule she has no claim. He ruled that they that she is not his common law wife, even okay. though they were together for eight years. Because in most, but states, that's not common law. It's together. ten years. It's no, it years. depends on the state. In South Carolina, it's seven. It's if you've lived together for okay. seven years. So that's what I was saying. It depends on the state. So okay. where you live, and they were in Georgia, right? Weren't they in Atlanta? I, I have no clue. I don't either. But yeah, in some states it's seven, but, so it really depends. But he was but in New York when he also. Died. I'm sorry. What did you say, KB? He was in New York when he was di- he died. So he must have come back up to New York and was hanging out or something. Like he was in New York when he was in a coma and stuff. But anyway, okay, yeah. I, I don't remember. But this is also a perfect example, like you all said, not. Like, in addition to, like, don't be shacking up with motherfuckers. That's the first thing. Second thing is, this is also a perfect example of having a will. Because if mm-hmm. Earl had had a will, his, ch- like, he has a total of 15 children. And nine households. are grown. And so nine households. Right. Everyone has staked a claim in court to try to be the administrator of his estate. If he had written a will none of this would be going on right now and you always find out people's true feelings and their true character when somebody dies yeah true and story. it's unfortunate because money can be the root of all evil money mm-hmm. and greed yeah and especially with families it's horrible because it tears families apart and it doesn't have to and my thing is, what, what's the question exactly? Because they still got 15 kids and they got to separate all that stuff by. So this, isn't it just to the kids? To control it. People want to be able to control the purse. It's the power. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the power your, of the purse. Get your wheel. Listen to Go Fund Yourself episode where we talk a lot about having those that paperwork in order. Hell. Right. I mean, and, and honestly, if I can, you know, have a moment of transparency and honesty here, I truly feel like one of my mother's sisters was pissed off when she found out that my mother had me as her beneficiary on her retirement. I mean, but why, would, why wouldn't why wouldn't you though? My, do- my daughter is so my actually, daughter is my benefit. Let me just say this real quick. My daughter is my beneficiary. Right. My daughter and my sister. My sister is there because she's under 18. In case Right, right, in case something happens. Exactly. And I don't want to get a whole bunch. Yeah, I don't want right. to get a whole bunch of money. Right. And she gonna well, go out here, you know. Right. right. But also, let me back up a little bit too. So that's one thing. The second thing is, and maybe she's less upset about that, but more upset about this. So my mother actually did have a will. However, in the state of South Carolina, when you file for probate court, you have to have an original copy of the will. So yeah. So. In my mother's will, she named me and my aunt as her beneficiaries. However, because we could not find the original copy, everything went to me automatically because I'm my mother's child. So I think my aunt was probably a little perturbed about that. What did she want? Did you ever ask her? I would if she would return my phone call or return the letter. No, you got to let that go. I'm glad you did. Oh, I have. I was being facetious. Okay. That's crazy. But I mean, it's it just is. like you said, in, in death, you find out a lot about people, unfortunately. And, you know, once people have died, things like that, it can tear a family apart. So yeah. I really hate to hear that. 
especially DMX and all them doggy kids. Shit. That part. And it's like, if anything, somebody who has multiple children and who isn't married. Right. And living out here in a dangerous kind of way. I think we need to call that out. So, like, if you... He was living in a yeah, like I travel a lot. I always, I know this might seem weird to y'all, but I, you know, because I, I used to travel for work. So I would take my passcodes, like all my passwords to all of my accounts. I would lay out what account I have. Cause I said, if anything happens to me, you know, my, my mother have it. Anytime I go out the country, I send my mother an updated list of all of my stuff. I don't want y'all scrambling around and figuring out what the hell is what and where, cause y'all know I'd be stashing shit in places. So I don't want it to be a big, oh, what the hell? Right. So, you know, I, I think we got to think about those kind of things. And we're getting up in age. We're seeing people drop dead that's doing good. Facts. Huh, hello? Facts. Yeah. All the goddamn facts in the world. Yeah. So actually, you know what, KB? You got me thinking. Because I feel like when I go on my trip next month, I might send everything to my cousin. Yeah, like my, you should. My I do that. Like that. Yeah. And definitely- I've been doing that. <laughs> But you know what? I haven't because I haven't even been thinking about it. You know, like I haven't thought about it. And like before my parents were my beneficiaries, you know, I realized like a few months ago I had to change my stuff at work, you know, and list somebody else. And I'm just like, I need to make some updates and some changes. And I'll be honest, I think what made me do it. And the first time I did is when I went to South Africa, it was after me having my daughter. Mm. I said, you know, and it was me and my husband at the time going on this trip. So we both dropped. If something happened, <laughs> something happened. Take care, low KB. Yeah. And, and my mother had her. So it's like she'll already have all the information she needs to get into whatever she needs to get into. And I think that's when I started it. I don't think I was thinking about that in my early 20s, right? Like, no, was, nobody that yeah. young does. So I, think I, was, I, was, early 20s. Yeah, I no. was like 29 when I started doing that. And I've been doing it ever since. And especially when I started traveling. For work, it made it so much more because, you know, you have this little person, but I think anybody need to do that. Anybody need to like let somebody know where is all of my stuff located? Where is all of that kind of stuff? And I think when we take our trip later this year, I do it again. Like I, I, I pretty much do it every time. If the information hasn't changed, I don't send it again. But, you know, for big trips, I'll do I'll send it again just in case you don't have it. So, you know, and I let them know who the beneficiaries are on some of my stuff. So my mother and my sister know how stuff is split up. They know Lil KB is on certain things and she hit 18, she is to get X, Y, and Z. Like we've already talked these things through and my sister does the same thing. You know, she just had a baby. So we had those conversations. She's like, listen, here's where my my stuff is. I need you to handle this. You know, all of those kind of things. So I think those are conversations we got to have even in our young age. And I'm going to call myself young. We are young. Sister, cousin, this is your notice. When I go out of the country next month, you're getting all my account information. It's coming. Since the last time we recorded, Juneteenth has become a federal holiday. As Sugar and I have alluded to earlier, we're not sure who asked for this, but it's here. <laughs> I think Miss all- Opal Lee asked for it. Shout out to Miss Opal Lee. And yes. some sinners that took it to, you know, yes. to the floor last year. So there we go. Yes. So it's now a federal holiday. And can I tell you, they move quick as hell because I was not expecting to be off on the 18th, but I was. But and they told but us you, like five o'clock on the 17th. You know what? 
I really feel like a lot of companies and a lot of other people, I think they must have known that something was coming because the way that you said that, like everybody was jumping on it. Like I saw my company send out something about Juneteenth and it was like, why is this such a big deal all of a sudden this year? Because last year, everybody was radio silent. No, we weren't Nobody's saying last year. No, I think it's because it became a federal holiday. Yeah. It, it, for me, I was like, oh, we'll have that day off in 2022. But they were like, no, nigga. You no, we're doing it today. this year. Yeah, yeah. you'll okay. have that in 2021. But can I yeah. say this? For my company, we did talk a lot about it last year. That was the first time it was like made a big deal. And that was because of the whole George Floyd thing. Let's just be keep it real 100. Right. And so this year, you know, we did the same thing. We just had a, another program a day, actually. And so I think what's interesting is that we we just got MLK as a holiday for us this past year. That was mm. the first. This is the first In year. Private company. Really? Yeah. I mean, we don't private get companies? any. We don't get anything. We we don't. We get like major. We get like Fourth of July and Christmas and Thanksgiving. But all those other holidays that everybody else gets, we don't get that. We get another colonizer holiday too. But the thing is that we we never got MLK, and I made a point of it to take that day off. And I would, we have what we call floating holidays, like three. I would always use a floating holiday on that day because I wanted it to be known that I'm taking it off because of this. So that was an interesting thing. So even though this is a federal holiday, I expect, and I mean, hell, how long has MLK been a damn federal holiday and we just got this off for the first time? Since the I, but I, I can bet you next year we're going to get that shit off. Watch how fast this happens. I'm, I'm, sure. I, I'll come back next year and tell you guys. So we'll put a pin on that one. Yes. So, but we are excited because we have some historians with us today to talk about Juneteenth and its importance in the history. So KB, can you please introduce our guests? I'm excited to have a new guest to our podcast family. I'm going to go ahead and add her and induct her into this situation. We have Dr. Arlisha Norwood, PhD and president and senior historian at the History Consultants. Arlisha's from Texas, so little isn't her thing. She brings big impact and bold ideas to the field of history. She specializes in the 19th century United States and her cutting edge research examines the experience of single African-American women in post-Civil War Virginia. Her passion and commitment to making academic history accessible to the broader public is evident in her major contributions to projects with the National Women's History Museum, the National Park Service, and the Smithsonian Institution National Museum of African-American History. She is also currently serving as a professor at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And I have been informed that this particular university is closest to DC proper. Am I correct, Elle? I just want to make sure we're all- Are you talking about the University of Maryland Eastern Shore? Yeah, no? No. So wait, pause. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The University of Eastern, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore is not in Clinton. Now Clinton is closer to DC than Baltimore. The Eastern Shore, I believe, is closer to Baltimore than it is. Yes. To DC. Okay. Yes. So oh, that's two different things. So the takeaway point is this is still a DMV. That's all I want to say. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. There we go. Thank you, L. We know geography gonna have us on here. So I like to welcome you. Dr. Norwood, thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Uh, we also have our favorite um, historian that's always with us, Dr. Pelham. She's in the background, just listening. Listen, the history consultants are in the building and we are super excited about it. So we really wanted to take this opportunity. You know, we kind of teased this up, this conversation around Juneteenth. 
we just got through our first Juneteenth as a federal holiday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we wanted to bring Arlisha on just to kind of talk to us a little bit about the history of Juneteenth. I think everyone kind of have a really good idea. We, we started hearing a lot more about it last year. But for us that has been in the community, we've already known about this. But just if you can give us a high level, and I think it's so awesome that you are from Texas, or, you know, Houston, Texas, mm. this is Texas, right? So um, I think it's so appropriate. So if you can just maybe give us a little bit of the history around Juneteenth. And then we'll jump in a little discussion. So we know that June 19th, 1865, General Granger, a Union general, um, arrived in Galveston, Texas to enforce freedom um, that happened. Well, June 1865 is about three months after the surrender of the largest army in April of 1865 or the largest Confederate army. And it's two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. It was implemented January 1st of 1863. We know that he arrives into Galveston, Texas. If anybody is from Texas, they know that Galveston is the, the small beach town right outside of Houston. And he comes there and you know, enforces freedom. I use the word enforces because um, there's this huge myth. I'm gonna always talk about the myths of Juneteenth. There's this huge myth that myth that African-Americans in Galveston did not know they were free. And I always ask people, can you keep a secret from your cousin? Can you keep a secret from your family? Absolutely not. So you mean to tell me that people in Texas did not know they were free and in some places in Louisiana, they were already free? No, that was just their cousin across the border. So they knew that they were free. What they were waiting on was union enforcement, right? You can pretend, you can, you can know that you are free, but if your former white slave owner refuses to acknowledge your freedom, what we need to bring in are guns, right? We have to enforce freedom with guns, and that is exactly what General Granger brought with him. He brought guns and violence. That's the only way you get anything in this country is through guns and violence. And so when he arrives, Second myth, um, people believe or people, there's this, excuse me, image of Juneteenth and they have this white man on this horse and other white Union soldiers surrounding him. Also myth, General Granger arrives with black soldiers, black men. So glad you said. Attractive, good looking. Yes. <laughs> you said attractive, good looking. <laughs> Black men who um, who enforce this freedom from them. Some of these men come from Virginia. Some of them come from Maryland. I know this story because I know I know their history because I study widows of the Civil War, African American widows of the Civil War, and many women lost their husbands um, as they were traveling to Texas. Right? Um, there were tons of diseases back then. And so the men that arrived, the African-American men that arrived with their guns, they are enforcing freedom, right? Black men, black people see them, they celebrate them. Um, and from that moment on, they are free or they have now enforced freedom. Um, it's a very interesting story. What happens in Galveston, once General Granger informs African-Americans they are free, some of them drop their, their uh, tools where they are and no longer work some of them stay in Galveston some of them leave um, Galveston Uh, there's a story in the WPA narratives the WPA narratives are the interviews of former slaves that took place in the 1930s one woman that I always recount the stories that she says that she went to her former mistress and she said where is my money for working so hard I worked hard the freedom is here give me my coins um 
Yeah, can I pause right mm-hmm. there? Because I think that's so important for people to understand that that point around black soldiers and how you know we we heard this story and they act like the general arrived and he read this thing and you know from you know listening and reading and you know my own little stuff that I do on the side is like no he probably wasn't the one that actually told it was us like our soldiers what are your you know I know they have to keep this facade up right that the white savior mm-hmm. came in and, and, and grant us freedom but what's that part about how we we freed ourselves like I think that needs to be we got into this war, the civil war, right? Like, wasn't that the purpose? Like we knew we were there to try to free ourselves. And I think that's not talked a lot about, you know what I'm saying? I just want to get your thoughts on that. I always say, this is why the whole fallacy that African-Americans did not know that they were free is, it is crazy. Mm. From the moment the war started in 1861, enslaved African-Americans knew that it was about slavery. Doesn't matter what Lincoln was saying. We don't care what Ulysses S. Grant saying, Robert E. Lee. We don't care. We know that this about is about slavery so much so that in April of 1861, three African-American males arrived at Union Lines with their wives and kids in tow. And they say, hey, listen, we know that this war is about slavery. So what's up with the Freedom Union Army? What, what, what y'all got on it? Like, we are working for a Confederate general. We know that they're um, against the United States. We know that they're treasonous. And so we know that if we come to y'all, y'all have another option for us. Maybe it is not freedom now. It will be in 1863. But right now, we know that we don't got to be enslaved no more. And so this idea that African-Americans in parts of the country are not aware of freedom is absolutely not true. We all knew that... It, Every enslaved, just like every white person knew that we were in a civil war, every black person knew that that this war was about freedom and that after 1863, based on the Emancipation Proclamation, that if they got to Union lines, they were free. African-Americans rolled up into Union lines, even when, this is a kicker, even when the Union Army does not want to enforce freedom, because that's another topic, right? We tend to think that the Union Army promised everybody freedom the Emancipation Proclamation did, but Union soldiers regularly write Lincoln and say, listen, we're not fighting this war for slavery. We're worried about states' rights. We don't want Black people in our lines, even Mm -hmm. though this is federal policy. Sometimes African-Americans arrive in Union lines and the Union Army, like, y'all can go back to where y'all belong. And they're like, no, you, this is freedom based on the Emancipation Proclamation, based on what Frederick Douglass has been writing in the North Star, based on everything, this is, we know that y'all must give us freedom. And so I always tell people that African-Americans have dragged the United States to a moral compass since the beginning. We dragged the Union Army to freedom. We dragged everyone to acknowledge freedom and after during Reconstruction, uh, enforce it in every way possible, whether that be through voting rights or citizenship. We drag this country to wherever it is now. I mean, it's not, you know, that's debatable what it is now. That's right. Is it a country? Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, we drag them to a moral compass all the time. And that's exactly what happened during the Civil War. Mm, Wow. This is amazing because I think, like you said, these stories need to be told and told in the right way. So I'm, yeah, I'm wolf too. All right. I'm, I'm blown too, Kim. So I think one of those things too is, you know, now we're looking at Juneteenth and, you know, it's a common myth. I think some, some discussion around, oh, you're going to give us Juneteenth as a federal holiday so that you don't have to do anything else. 
I just want us to all level set and, and I would love to hear your thoughts around, you know, this bill being introduced even last year, right? This was before that time. What are your thoughts on that being introduced and how do you view this as a quote unquote federal holiday? So again, so I should say in eight, after 1865, well, in 1866, the next year, African-Americans started celebrating Juneteenth in a plethora of ways. They started barbecuing, they started hosting pageants. That's what, you know, Kim discusses. They started chilling out, just doing whatever on June 19th, the sort of uh, permanent uh, memory in my mind is when I was younger, I used to go to um, the parade, the Juneteenth parade in Houston, Texas. Um, and so there were a bunch of different events around the the holiday. Um, I did not know that other people in other places celebrated Juneteenth. I, <laughs> I um, When I arrived in Maryland in 2012, at that time, Juneteenth, they were having a Juneteenth celebration. And I remember asking like, what, why, why are you guys doing this? Like you have your own emancipation day. And that's, that's another thing because um, we think of Juneteenth as kind of this day where slavery ended everywhere. Absolutely not true. But Slavery also ended different places at different times. So different times. And so um, in DC, they celebrate Emancipation Day in April, right? Um, they celebrate compensated emancipation that happened. Uh, slave owners who freed their slaves in the district were paid for their slaves. And that happens in every April. That's a holiday in DC. If you work um, in the district, you're given that day off. Um, most of us probably remember emancipation or night watch that happens on January 1st in church, right? Uh, that's the watching the emancipation proclamation go into effect as it happens every, um, it happened January 1st of 1863. So there are a bunch of different emancipation days. Now, us taking Juneteenth as a federal holiday, my thoughts on it are, so the very first time I heard this, I thought to myself, well, I don't want, and if I can be very frank about this, I don't want white people to have a paid day off. Yes. Um, Glad you said that. Slavery. <laughs> hey, you, you um, are amongst family. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so those are my initial thoughts. Today, I think, well, that was about, you know, when I, when these, when I first heard this, as it was happening, as it was, you know, this, this past week, as it was happening, um, I've been feeling differently about it because I do think that there is merit to celebrating your ancestors' dreams, right? Um, we do know that those people who celebrated June 19th, 1865, they meant for that celebration to be forever. They also celebrated without the reassurance that freedom would be there, right? Mm -hmm. They did not know if the Confederacy was going to rise again, right? They didn't know if they would be enslaved in 1866. They didn't know if they'd be enslaved in 1870. They, they, so this idea that they, they did not know these things were going to take place, but they still found it in their right mind, right, to get together with their family, put some food on the grill, dress up, do all of these things. And they meant for that to last long because they made sure that their family did it, right? They made sure that the little kids were involved. They made sure that people knew about the celebration and it was a big deal. And so as the day was passing, I was, I was um, traveling to New York and I was thinking to myself like, oh my goodness, I wonder did they ever think that everybody would have to stop and think about enslavement and freedom, right? They had to, we all had to stop, even white people had to stop 
and celebrate something that they started. Um, and I, I think there's merit in that. Like it's Juneteenth is not a holiday that had white allies, right? It's not a holiday that black people necessarily cared who attended their parade or not. It was meant for them, right? And now this holiday meant for them is for everybody. Everybody has to stop and take time to celebrate it, especially people who inherited the holiday, myself included and every uh, ancestor, every descendant of an enslaved African-American. And so I feel much differently about it today. And I, there, again, there, I think there's merit in stopping to celebrate your ancestors' uh, dreams. I think that I would like for white people to, on that day, to sit back and think about their connections to slavery and start talking about reparations. I don't think that they should go to any barbecues or anything else. I think they should truly think about their involvement in slavery. Um, that's far fetched, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I think that the closer we get to these, in my lifetime, I never thought I'd see a Juneteenth holiday. Right? Mm -hmm. I say all the time, in my lifetime, I'll never see reparations. Me and Kim talk about that. We ain't gonna see reparations, but I don't know anymore now. I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that white people are getting nicer. I am saying that we are pushing for these things to happen and they are happening, right? They, yeah. we, we are moving towards somewhere. And so in, in American history, I tend to be very pessimistic, but I am optimistic since the uh, Juneteenth federal holiday. And I don't know, oh, we got, we got a holiday, so racism is over, but on some, oh, like somebody wanted this to happen and it happened, so. Yeah. And shout on that note, shout out to Opal Lee, those yeah. of us who have, been critical of the holiday, I think must recognize and honor her work. Mm -hmm. um, so often those of us who are new to the scene and don't really understand um, the history and the work that goes along with public history, one of our girlfriends, um, Ashley Preston, I don't know if I've ever mentioned her to you all before, but she's in our historian circle as well. Oh, uh, wow. Ashley does a lot of work with getting a historic marker up, right? You know, the little sign mm -hmm. yeah. in front of That takes a lot of work. <laughs> like wow. it is not easy <laughs> to do that, especially when the gatekeepers are typically all white people who run these local history societies. And so I'm thinking of my own friend's work just to get historical markers up in, in, in you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, very racist white cities like Daytona. And so to think about HBCU graduate Opal Lee in her elder years, marching all the way from Texas to DC to um, champion the, the cause of this holiday. I think it is very easy for us to sit back and say, they ought to give us reparations and not a holiday when it means something totally different to this black woman who has put her body on the line to make it possible. And so in, in her honor, I will have barbecue and I will enjoy Juneteenth. And I think we've been doing that right as a community. And I guess I'm still in this space of how do we still just celebrate it amongst us? I, I'm, I'm with you, Arlisha, when you say I want them to reflect. But the, the reason I'm thinking of this, and I work in um, a Fortune 500, 500 company, and you know, one of my coworkers thought it was okay to tell me yesterday. <laughs> she says, what did they do for Juneteenth? I didn't really hear them talking about it. And you know, she's an ally, quotes. And she, hey, or at least you, you haven't met me, but there you go. So, uh, so then she says, oh, I was talking to such and such. And she's like, oh, they didn't give us a day off. 
So I was like, oh, wow, this is really a day off thing for y'all. Y'all not, are y'all going to sit into it? <laughs> like, are you going to sit into it? Because I agree with you. I wish they could. I kind of want them to go to work. I know we can't separate holidays like that, but I kind of want them to go to work. <laughs> I want them to go to work and I want us to be off. That's what I want. So let me, so I'm going to share a little bit about my immediate Juneteenth experience. Because I'm trying to figure out who asked for Juneteenth to be a federal hop. Well, besides Oakley, but I'm going to leave that alone. We'll talk about this later. But I think, KB, what we have to do, even though, you know, your coworker asked what we're supposed to do, I took it and used it as a teachable moment um, in the sense that, first of all, you all know that I taught African-American history for the past couple of years. And even with the students that I had in my class, at the end of each class that I had, I, I taught Juneteenth to them. We also had what we called a Juneteenth celebration at the end of our class. And we ate traditional food that was eaten during, or that's eaten during Juneteenth festivals. So me being the history teacher that I am, when we sent an email to the school community, I gave them a history lesson of what Juneteenth was or what Juneteenth is, I should say. And um, as our, our Alicia said earlier, I talked about General Granger. I talked about the celebrations and what we did and what our ancestors did when Juneteenth first started being celebrated. And I and also my school community is not majority black. So hopefully the white parents and their children at my school read it, even though I had a couple of white students in my class over the years. But hopefully the majority who have not had, who did not have me as a teacher read that because they read everything else that we send out. So hopefully they read that email, they read the history of Juneteenth and realized why it's celebrated. But I also think we still celebrate the way that we have done in the past. I don't think that changes. Mm-hmm. For sure, mm-hmm. for sure. No, I think that I agree with you totally. And I know we have held um, Arlisha up and I just want to thank you again. We're going to continue this conversation, but we want to let you go. We know you are dealing with family. So we want to give you that time, but thank you so much just for coming in and dropping those, those pearls on us and to our listeners, just so that we can even really start this conversation. So thank you again. And I hope to have you back. Yes, please, please. And if anyone, um, Kim just put a resource in, Annette Gordon-Reed has a great book on Juneteenth. And I'm and seriously, she's a Texan. Um, I normally don't give reading recommendations because I'm like, it's, most books on, on African-American history are just not good sometimes. Mm. But Annette Gordon-Reed really breaks it down. And more importantly, she talks about what happens after Juneteenth, what happens in Texas during the reconstruction. Um, and that's important because white people never give up. Like they just never, white supremacy doesn't die easily, which is more reason that we need to celebrate Jun- <laughs> Juneteenth. Wow. It just does not forever and ever. Um, Texas is one of the more violent states during reconstruction. And so openly, Opal Lee's work really is important given her, this white supremacist environment that we live in everywhere, really, not just in Texas. So wow. I would suggest you all read that or, you know, just audible it, something really quick. For sure. But it was great, 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 yes. great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Arlisha. And that book, again, that she's mentioning is called On Juneteenth. And it is by, as she stated, Annette yes. Gordon-Reed. So on Juneteenth, y'all check that out. Thank you so much, Doc. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Please give me back. This is fun. Thank you. Yes. You should be here for a full episode. You're going to have a whole bunch of fun. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks.
just in that same note, I think too, I, I agree with you, Elle, there was an opportunity to educate, but I, I have said, I will say that my company has done a pretty good job of doing that education. Um, I was sharing with Dr. Poe the day that there was a guy that came back from Temple University. He was, <laughs> I didn't think they were gonna have him back, but I thought they had already contracted because the talk he gave last week, I know they want to uh, stop the uh, recording, but you know, having more of those authentic people come in and tell those stories and not tell it in this fantasy world that this guy rolled in and he was the savior and told us all these things. But yeah, it was a teach him a moment. So I, I do think that people do have a certain level of um, understanding about Juneteenth now. And I do think that within my seating, but I think the point of them just asking about a day off, it really ticked me off. Like, yeah, I could have came back but I think that day I was just so exhausted, to be honest. I think mentally I just couldn't even deal with colonizing um, attitudes. Just not that day. So I have a question because I'm trying to think how I can frame this. So at my school, we have sort of started the work about racial equality and equity, more so equity than equality. And this is taking our conversation. It's doing a little detour, but I'm going to get us back on track. So some teachers and some people have commented that they feel still feel trauma and from things that have happened in the past regarding race and gender inequities in our school building. And um, the way, okay, so I have a question. So when you say trauma, can you give us an example just so I can understand for like context? I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I don't know specifically about these people and it's really like one comment. So I can't, so one thing that happened since I have been at my school a few years ago, a student posted a picture of a noose on his social media page. Oh, um, right. So I don't believe it, it was directed to any particular person. But I mean, the student went to our school. Um, it, I think this happened on a Friday. By that Monday, that student's parents had unenrolled him. Um, let's see, another instance, not the same school year, but kind of close to that. There was a swastika written on oh. the boy's bathroom, on the wall in the boy's bathroom. Oh. So I'm, I'm just thinking about like general things that happen in the entire school community. However, the person or the people who have said that they have felt trauma, I don't know if they are relating that to these school instances as a whole, or if these are particular things, are there specific things that have happened to this person? So, so I say all that to say, they feel that they either should not or cannot participate in the equity work that we are trying to do as an entire school community. And I, I guess I'm just trying to sort of like reconcile that in my mind because it's sort of like if we want positive things to change and we're not necessarily asking these, like asking people to be leaders, right? I think, but also like at a minimum, be willing and open to participate with your colleagues, with your other teachers, with your students to make sure that everyone is treated fairly in our school building. So my question basically is, you know, thinking about your experiences because you are 
a minority in your workplace and you and we all have experienced some type of racial inequality and justice in our lifetime. So I'm wondering, KB, how can we like it? Well, I guess a two part question. One, is it fair to ask black people who have experienced trauma to participate in racial equity work at work? And then two, if it's not, what can be done to address these things in the workplace to make sure that they don't happen? Yeah, I can answer that because I'm actually sitting our, on our DEI, which everyone knows that that's diversity, equity, and inclusion work streams across our entire organization. I think for one, yes, it is something that we should get involved in. I also still believe that we bring in experts. So I think that there's only a certain limit that we can go to depending on what field you're in, what you can contribute. But I think you bring in the experts that can really make sure that we're doing the work. I try not to even, you know, these days, you know, I've been doing a lot with, y'all should see these books I'm starting to get, y'all. It's going to be stupid. But even that word minority, I think, you know, and I've talked about this on another episode, us taking that even out of our, our vocabulary, because what it does say is that, are we lesser? because we're underneath, because we're smaller. If we go into it with the majority kind of sense of mind, that allows us to propel ourselves to where we need to be. So yes, I think we can play a role. I don't think we should be the primary role player. And I think you go where you're respected. So if that makes sense, and you know, I love to hear Shug's thoughts on that, but that's, that's where I sit at. So yes, I'm doing the work but I'm not here to educate everybody. I'm here to do the work to put to close the gaps. But right. I'm not going to sit up here and teach you shit. That's not what I'm doing. But right. what I am going to do is make sure that my brethren is going to be okay from a health standpoint. I'm going to make sure I'm going to get some more Black people up in here that look like me. So when we sit at these tables and making decisions, we can have some more thoughts. It was so crazy. We were in a study meeting today and we we're looking at a patient journey chart that this one lady put together. You know, I stopped that dog on me and I told him before this goes anywhere, the characters you have sitting here, I need to see them all except one ethnicity. Right now, this is all one ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy because it's another person that is of Indian descent. I didn't even notice that. I said, mm-hmm. these are the things that I do notice. So before this walks out the door and anybody else sees this, I will help you find the icons that we need. It's the small things. Absolutely. Right. That I feel like we all can play a role. So that's where I sit at with it. I'm going to work it in the way I can work it. And like I told you, those are my two goals, right. those health equity gaps, but then also bringing in more people so that we can have more people at the table to call out things like that. Because the fact that this was actually for another study, they use this picture in another study mm-hmm. and then nobody say nothing. Right. But we talking about the patient journey. All patients don't look like a white man. Mm-hmm. These are all Caucasians across this whole slide. Across mm-hmm. this whole slide, it was nothing but Caucasians. That's not appropriate. So that's where I would sit. You know, I'll definitely let Suge kind of comment on that as well. So, like, I have mixed emotions. Like, I do think that since COVID and everything, it has been good that everybody kind of was forced to sit down and really think and to take in everything that's been happening over the past like year, year and a half. Um, So I am happy that it is being 
recognized. However, I'm also a part of the audience who's kind of like, who asked for this? We asked for like legislation surrounding how the cops are dealing with black and brown bodies and, you know, basically with them just outright murdering us and getting away with it and dealing with, you know, just kind of like we were discussing earlier, equitable treatment. And I kind of feel like they placated us and was like, okay, here, we're going to give you Juneteenth as a national holiday, just to kind of set, to set you guys up. So I do think that it's progress to a certain extent, but it's also like, you know, this is great. However, everybody gets to join in this celebration. And now I feel like people of other races and ethnicities are going to kind of um, kind of distort the purpose of the holiday and use it as another day off or, you know, even um, you guys saw that article about how people are upset with Ikea because they had a Juneteenth celebration and a part of the menu was chicken and watermelon. So I have mixed feelings about that because I'm like, you know, the menu to me, it looked like the food was on point. So I'm like, I get it, but I also, I also don't get it because I'm like, historically, yeah, chicken and watermelon, you know, people do associate that with black people and, you know, quote unquote niggers. So, but also it's like, I feel like watermelon just happened to be on the menu. Like that's something that you would see at a Juneteenth picnic. So it's like, where do we draw the line? So I do understand a little bit of the confusion that other races have when it comes to having these really difficult conversations with Black people, but it's like, how do we go forward with these conversations? Like, what do you guys feel about the the menu and people being upset about that? Well, I think look for any excuse to be mad. Like if they knew their history, they would know. Yeah, but traditional food you eat, especially red food for Juneteenth, that's tradition. It is tradition, but I think it's when other people get to consume it. It's the same thing with the holiday. Other people get to consume this holiday and now get a day off. They don't get the right to do all of that. But I think that's my that's my only thing. But my thing is, is that sometimes we take shit a little bit too far. Yes. Right. So that's my thing. And I think that's I guess that's what you were trying to say, too. Right. I'm I'm like, where do do you draw the line? I mean, because I feel like it is an important conversation that we need to have. But I also feel like other ethnicities, white people in particular, tiptoe around things because it's like, oh, we don't want to say or we don't want to do the wrong thing. But that also comes back to your point, KB, of why there needs to be more of us in the room helping to guide and make these decisions to help companies and other people avoid missteps like that. Like, I think it would have gone over better had it just been fruit salad as opposed to watermelon in particular. (laughs) And that got a lot of people up in arms. And I think too, I I always think about how the, you know, disingenuous folks will show up in this blackface. Like I'm still on the, 
you get to partake in this situation and it's going to be somebody that's going to mess it up. Like it's going to be somebody who's going to come out of pocket and do the wrong thing. Somebody's going to show up in a dashiki. Somebody's going to show up, you know, trying to be an ally, but not really knowing. knowing. Or some people just outright being disrespectful. And it's like, oh, it's a nigger holiday. So we finna put on some blackface. We finna paint our lips red. And, and we I, finna... And if yeah. you do that, and if you do that, Make sure you understand when you show up with that dashiki that everybody is from Africa. So then believe that. And that's why you showing up in a dashiki. So now if you really want to take it there, let's take it all the way there. So I just, I just kind of, I think that there's this slippery slope that I just feel like I get the holiday. And like y'all said, we've been celebrating this. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as we found out, I know we all found out at different points. I know I found out super late in life. But we all found out at these different points. But when you did find out, you recognized it and you held it. Like, I think it's something that we hold to our, our, ourselves. And I love what Arlisha said about, you know, I think, L, you even have a shirt that has a different date on it from June 19th. So, mm-hmm. you know, we all know now these things, like that was just the last place that found out, supposedly. You know, I love Arlisha said that. So we all have these different connections, but we all recognize it on this one day. And yes, I want our other, you know, brothers and and sisters and comrades and allies to take a day and and sit in it. But are you really? And I think that's where that happens with the holidays. You know, we were talking earlier and saying, is this going to turn into a 4th of July sale and, you know, Juneteenth sale? And you're just going to put and commercialize this shit to the death. And I'm not buying nothing from nobody who is not of African descent on that day. So it's just like, you're not going to market and commercialize something that we recognize as sacred and something that we hold and recognize, you know, and just really take seriously of where our ancestors came from and how they fought for their freedom. Yeah, and I think that that's also an important point that you brought up as well, because I shared something on my Facebook page and as well with you guys that said um, this this girl, I don't have her name right now, but she had this brilliant idea that on Juneteenth, she was going to celebrate something and call it Kente Claus. So that would be the opportunity to have friends to go and patronize Black-owned businesses, especially on June 19th. And I think that that is so important because it's like, you know, um, as our guest said earlier, that, you know, People knew that they were free. It was the point of trying to enforce it. So the fact of the matter is, is that these white slave owners knew that they had to let the slaves go. However, they were like, we're just not going to tell them or we're not going to let them go because we want to have an extra year of crops to to be able to, you know, to utilize these people for their labor for an extra year because we want to have one more crop before we have to release them. And I think that that is so important that we pour or we at least take that day to be very intentional about pouring money back into Black businesses because we already were super underfunded. You know, there's all different types of red tape and things that Black people have to go through in order to get these businesses in the first place. So I think that's very important that we take those dollars and we pump them back into the black community specifically for that reason. I was going to add on to what you said also, Suge, about sort of why the citizens in Texas found out so late. So yes, one of those reasons is the crop. Another reason 
or another rumor that they found out so late is because a general messenger was on his way to Texas and he was murdered along the way. So they wouldn't know. So there are you yep. know, all these wise tales yeah. that have occurred over the years as to why, you know, the citizens of Galveston and of Texas found out so late. And isn't it a shame? And, and wait, Elle, just so, because we just had our leash on. I love her point about, it's not that they maybe necessarily found out late. They was waiting on that official person. Right, they had them. to enforce it. Yeah. yeah, to enforce it, right? So they probably, and I think that's a really good point. Like, Hell, you know how words and messages, what's that thing we used to play? The telephone. Like, you know, yeah, telephone game. Yeah. That that thing, that message might not be correct. Or it might not be exact, but you start hearing you get people, the gist of it. Yeah. Start hearing people got free. So I think those little nuggets, but I'm sorry, go ahead, Elle. I just wanted to make sure we all level set and we're talking the same. Yeah. Absolutely. No, you're you're completely fine. So this was a great discussion. Y'all know Juneteenth is like has a special place in my heart. Because for me, Show, tell them about the shirt you have. Oh, so the shirt I have says at the top, it has, well, first of all, it has a silhouette of a black woman with her afro. And at the top, July the 4th is marked out. And yes. it says Juneteenth because my ancestors weren't free in 1776. Yeah. Boom. True story. I made share it, I made share it on the page because I did wear it this year on Juneteenth. Yeah. Ow, ow, ow. So for our Dope Gifted in Black segment, we are recognizing the fastest woman in America, aka 21-year-old Shikari Richardson. And just a week after losing her mother, mm-hmm. Shikari was able to make history and qualify for the Olympic track and field team so kudos to her she's amazing first of all we probably should do the next episode on shikari and how people especially black men have been going in on her yes yeah black women's bodies like let us do us it's okay i miss all of that no i mean they were they were talking about her nails they were talking about her hair there were comments about her being ghetto about her being brash somebody even suggested that it's it's possible that she's not even a woman um so it was it's all kinds of like ugliness so you know I was expecting that from you know a certain group but then also to see that black men were joining in tearing this woman down and I'm like first of all she's a young woman she's only 21 years old so I don't want to you know, I kind of look at her as a baby because, you know, we're of a certain age, but I'm also like, you know, just as a person in general, I'm going to give her that respect. Like she's a young woman and she recently lost her mother. So, but I'm still just baffled by how she accomplished this amazing feat that majority of people will never, never. ever get to do. Never. And you are so comfortable and okay with tearing a woman who looks like you, who looks like your mother down in a public forum, I have a real problem with that. And I, I think that care. that's something that we need to discuss. They need to care. That's a problem because we're already divided as a community, but you're not helping because she accomplished everything. I mean, it's just, it's all, we'll get into that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, that was just so dope. And for people to just shit all over what she had just accomplished and to go in about how she looks. And I'm like, she's not the first, she's not the first person to have the nails like 
Go back and learn your history. Flow, Joe. Gail Joyner. And her right. sister-in-law, Jackie Joyner Kersey, because Jackie used to have those nails too. Ain't exactly. nothing new under the sun. You better believe it. Exactly. exactly. And like she said, she's here to let y'all know that she is that girl. So kudos to you, Shikari. We're going to be cheering for you in the Olympics. And I hope you blow that shit out the water. And I think we also got to recognize it's not all black men, right? It's, it's, it's a few not. of these dumb asses. No, and it's, it's going to be a few dumb asses everywhere in every group. So damn to them. Let's continue to prop her up. There you go. Exactly. So once again, thanks to our guests, Arlisha Norwood and Kimberly Brown Pelham. We thank you all so much. This has been another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye. Don't forget to listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. Connect with us on social media at Fem Noir Files on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye!